Hello and welcome to the second and final episode of podcast that took me ages to edit because I thought babies would sleep more. This week is with Steve Cross and Gregory Aikerman. This is recorded back in February this year. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Alternative Book Club podcast, the online spin-off from the Literary Comedy Night. I am your host, Shirley Hulse, and today we are joined by comedian, science communicator and founder of Science Show Off, Dr. Steve Cross, and comedian, writer and co-host of the Masterpiece Bookshelf podcast, Gregory Aikerman. How are you both? Hello. Shirley, I've got a question straight away. Is there an original books podcast to which this is the alternative? Like, is there something I should have listened to so that I can be <laughs> as different to them as possible? Well, it was Masterpiece Bookshelf was the original book podcast. Yeah, that we yes. did, actually. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. the first book podcast <laughs> there ever was. That's why we had to do all the classics. <laughs> so, listeners, like, if you enjoy this, why not go back and listen to Masterpiece Bookshelf? Oh, no, you can't because Greggy fucked the website up and all of the episodes are gone. <gasps> Fake news, no. Steve. It was, it was Squarespace changing their, their um, uh, policy, so they no longer accepted debit cards as legitimate payment, which what? therefore, yep, which uh, screwed up the website, so it came down. We've still got all of the files, and we will be I know, popping them up somewhere. we're missing four. Is it four that we're missing? Yeah, well, but- and we're missing the great unpublished Jack Kerouac one, which was just an hour of us calling Jack Kerouac a prick. And wasn't oh, really radio worthy. The internet needs that. I was going to say, in answer to your question, um, there is no, uh, you know, like beef with an original book club. But since we started the alternative book club, Cheltenham, which is where we we're originally based, has got a new book club, which is just a book club, and it's called Cheltenham's Best Book Club. And I do feel like there's a bit well, of competition. You can't put best in your name unless your name is best. If you, if it's like, hello, I'm as best, and I've started it. <laughs> Other than that, it's just, I'll judge which is the best, actually. You should start, because like in the 90s, for rap rappers, gangster rappers, starting beef with somebody was a good way to get headlines. So you should just go mm. along to one of theirs and heckle it. Oh, yeah. definitely. But uh, have they got a, a brick and mortar building that you can burn down? Well, I mean, I would start with their posters. Oh. Just get some <laughs> special stickers posted, printed that just say, not the, and you go around and you stick. Over just in front of best. <laughs> Cheltenham's not the best. Second just best. On every single one, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. arson. Yeah, I think the problem is at the moment, um, no one has like a real venue. So I think they are just, I just have to burn a bit of lawn that they're gathering on. They, I hear that they only do Dan Brown books. <laughs> Ooh. Over <laughs> and over again. Mediocre book club. Yeah, they were going to do Fifty Shades of Grey, but it was a bit intellectual <laughs> for them. And all of their hot takes are, at best, morally ambiguous. I heard last week they didn't do Romeo and Juliet. They actually just did the York notes to Romeo and Juliet as a study text. <laughs> Hang on, there's nothing wrong with just doing the York notes to a but, book. Uh, let's be fair, we've all done GCSEs and therefore we didn't. <laughs> I feel a bit bad now because I'm sure they've shared some of our stuff before. And I'm sure they're um, reasonable people. No, and... Don't feel bad, they're terrible people. But they don't even know the plot of Beowulf. Ooh, I bet they've out. never read um, that really long one, uh, Finnegan's Wake. I bet they've never read that. Neither of you, Greggy. I bet they've never listened to a heavily abridged audiobook version on double time of Finnegan's Wake. Yeah. <laughs> 10 hours. Easy. It's meant to be Jesus. like 65 hours. You've got the 10 hour version. On double time. Double time. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Rubbish. Yeah, it's just this. 
probably how he wanted you to experience it, to be honest. Exactly. I went to a comedy gig where Michael Brunstrom did a lovely performance of Finnegan's Wake, where he took a copy and just ripped pages out and handed them to audience members and everyone had to read the page they had simultaneously. <laughs> and in some ways, it was like the ultimate... He, he himself, you should all check out Michael Brunstrom, the uh, very alternative comedian. He's the alternative to Cheltenham's best comedian. He um, <laughs> he described it as it's like you're surfing on Finnegan's Wake. You know, you float across the top. You don't get sucked down into it and drown. And the best way to do that mm. is to have thirty people read it simultaneously. Absolutely beautiful. That is wonderful, Ryan. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. So. Dr. Steve Cross, you're going to You don't first. have to call me doctor on a flipping podcast that's yeah, called but... the Alternative Books Podcast, is it? I feel like that you worked hard for that. No, I feel like it's respect. something Cheltenham's best book podcast would do. They'd be like, <laughs> do you know we've got a doctor on this week? Uh, just off to vote Tory or Liberal Democrat, <laughs> the only two parties that exist in Cheltenham. Okay, um, regular Steve Cross is going to go first. What are you here to talk to us about today? Well, right. So, um, regular listeners to things that aren't this but do involve me will know that um, I am a part, uh, a parent, or a partner as well, but I'm a parent of two two-year-olds, twin two-year-olds, and I wanted to talk about some of the books that I've been reading for them and some of the books that didn't exist when I was a kid. Like we've got all the normal ones. We've got all the Miffy books and we've got all the Mr. Men and Little Mess books because you can buy these uh, in bulk from charity shops. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as we decided to get pregnant, I just started. If it was like, we've got the complete set of Miffy, I'm like, all of that, thank you. All of the Moomin books, we'll just put those away. There's um, probably five or six kilograms of Lego in a bag under my bed waiting for them to need that because it was cheap in a charity shop and they'll want it one day right anyway these are books that didn't exist when i was a kid and um they're amazing books and so what i wanted to talk about was the hat trilogy by john classen now that's k-l-a-s-s-e-n not double a double a is a weird instagram influencer person but um they are incredibly lavishly illustrated but in a kind of what can only be i would just call it a new americana style like if you liked alternative folk music in the late 90s and early 2000s it's 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 a bonnie prince billy feel to the designs and the reason that i i wanted to talk about them was about reading things and realizing that you're reading a different book to the one your child is listening to because you're getting a thing they're not um so i'll summarize the books first there's three books in the series there's i want my hat back a bear has lost his hat he goes looking for it. The second in the series is, uh, this is not my hat. A small fish has stolen a hat from a big fish and the big fish is going to come and get it. And the final book in the series is We Found a Hat. Two turtles in the desert have found one hat, but there's two of them. Um, and so just a quick uh, quick review. Uh, I Want My Hat Back is phenomenal, a bit of rough around the edges, sets up an incredible formula. Uh, this is not my hat takes quite a lot of the same formula possibly too much uh, it adds some new little elements but it's really not quite as good as the first one and then we found a hat is like this incredible mythic emotional journey it takes a totally different attitude to hats and it's instead of the first two are about losing a hat the third book is about the nature of friendship and how friendship is more important than anything in the whole world i've seen adults cry 
reading we found a hat it's incredibly moving <laughs> so if you wanted a comparison for popular culture they are kevin smith's first three films in that one is quite good the first one really good but a bit rough around the edges the second one is a bit more polished but really it's too much like the first one to be good and then the third one is suddenly this huge mythic emotional ride although unlike <laughs> chasing amy we found a hat is not shit and so I do, the thing is, as you read them, so in both I Want My Hat Back, I'm just going to read you one little bit of I Want My Hat Back. Um, the nice thing about these books is loads of animals. You can do loads of different voices for them. If, like me, you are a Dungeons and Dragons player. So um, the bear finds out a rabbit's got his hat, gets his hat back, and a squirrel appears. Excuse me, have you seen a rabbit wearing a hat? No, why are you asking me? I haven't seen him. I haven't seen any rabbits anywhere. I would not eat a rabbit. Don't ask me any more questions. Okay, thank you anyway. And as an adult, I'm like, he's at that rabbit. And the kids <laughs> don't because the bear has straight out said, I would not eat a rabbit. But the, the bear's eating that rabbit. And that is quite fun because I'm like, how old are they going to be? And how long am I going to keep reading this book? Well, one day they go, he's at that rabbit, Dada. And I'm like, yeah, he has at that rabbit. And it's the same with This Is Not My Hat. It's one of the same notes it picks up. The little fish steals the hat from the big fish. And we have great fun. There's special lines in the book that my kids say. Uh, my daughter li likes to shout, and look, I made it when the little fish thinks he's escaped. And my son uh, loves to shout, that way, when there's a crab that points and gives away where the little fish is gone. <laughs> but at the end of this book, again, nothing says the word eat, but there's a very strong chance that the big fish eats the little fish behind some plants on one of the pages. And again, it's like, when are they going to... And it got me thinking about all the things that I'm experiencing. And now I'm seeing them again through their eyes, but I'm now a proper grown-up. And I'm realising that I didn't understand it when I was a kid, and they possibly mm -hmm. don't either. So I had one of these before they were born a few years ago when I realised for the first time that uh, why did the chicken cross the road is actually a joke. Uh, it's a pun. So why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? The other side is a pun on death, because, of course, a chicken would die if it tried to cross a busy road. Some people say the joke is that it's not a joke and it makes no sense. It's like, well, why is there a perfectly good pun built into it that is clearly exactly what it means? And I've started to see this with the stuff my kids are into. So they've been singing. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, clap, clap. And as a kid, I thought that it was the song. Like, can you sing me if you're happy and you know it? No, I don't know it. I thought it was the song. If you're happy and you know it, meaning this song, clap your hands. But it's not. It's if you're happy and you know you're happy, which is this huge, deep philosophical hole for a child. <laughs> like, can you be happy and not know you're happy? Are you allowed to, like, what is happiness? How do I know I'm happy? My daughter sometimes says, I'm sad. And we're like, are you happy? She says, yeah, I'm happy. Because she doesn't, she's not quite sure what the words mean yet. She's just trying out some emotions. So that one was quite difficult. And then I was watching The Baby Club, uh, which is a CBeebies show, which is the best one for shutting children up, even up to the age of two. Because they used to watch it when they were six months old and it was their favourite TV. And when they're two, it's like nostalgia TV for them. It's like putting friends on Netflix. They will just be like, I remember this one. And one of the songs is Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. And they changed the next two lines to, if you see a crocodile, don't forget to scream. <laughs> and I thought, why have they put a crocodile in, right? That is some scary stuff for children. Oh, we're just throwing a boat. Oh, by the way, there's crocodiles. But then I remembered the original, which is, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. 
Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Which is a much bigger, scarier concept to introduce to children in the middle of a song about boats. They're like, what, Dada? I'm like, yeah, life, life is just a dream. What? Why do I go to sleep then? What, what is real? What is reality? How can I know that I'm happy? How can I be happy if I'm just a dream being experienced by... And all of this, it's like I'm seeing the world again through their eyes. Obviously, the nice thing is I'm already good at all the things they're learning to do. So I beat them at everything. <laughs> like I bought them a guitar. It's only got three strings on. Mine's got four strings on. Uh, <laughs> I win. Um, so that was just like it was reading the John Classen books. And like every parent, I have read each of these books over a thousand times. I've got our second copy of This Is Not My Hat. The first one was ripped to shreds and it is worn. Uh, it's called Fish Hat in our house. Uh, we found a hat, or Turtle Hat, as it's known. Uh, it's also incredibly worn and has milk and dinner on it. Uh, I Want My Hat Back is relatively fresh because this is the slightly more gratuitous one, so we haven't read it with them as much. <laughs> Plus, um, it's got loads of different characters, so you have to do like nine or ten voices, and my partner isn't a professional comedian, unlike me, so uh, doesn't read it. My favourite bit is in the middle after not see uh, asking loads of people if... Um, They've seen his hat and they all say no. And he says, thank you anyway. He suddenly sits up and goes, I have seen my hat. <laughs> and my kids always laugh at that moment. And so that was what I wanted to talk about, really. Um, like change and worry and what is reality? And can we ever know our own emotions? And um, did the fish die in This Is Not My Hat? Thank you very much. It sounds like um, the sort of thing that's increasingly traumatic, the less sleep that you get as you're bringing up children. Actually, no, the lack of sleep is really good because it flattens your emotions terribly. Because if you actually realised what you were having to do on a daily basis, you would lose your mind. But what it does is it flattens all the emotions. So you're like, yeah, this is the ninth time today I've had human shit on my hands. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. At least it's not <laughs> ten. <laughs> Wow. This is the first time in my life someone's been hitting me in the face repeatedly, screaming, and I haven't been able to move away or stop them <laughs> legally. <laughs> this is um quite worrying given that my due date is a week and a half away. Yeah, I was only really Looking doing this <laughs> as a way to um, introduce some really good books that you might want to try <laughs> with them. Yeah, no, they, they sound fantastic. I haven't really gone into that stuff because I assume that it's going to take a while for them to get it. How how long did it take for them to, I mean, obviously not get the like deep philosophical stuff, but like to follow the story? Well, really, like the minute they can start to sit up, you should have be reading to them already. Because um, mm. just a love of books is a, a nice thing to, to put into them. And so they bring me books and they demand to read them. And they also sit down and they read books. They can't read and they, they can't say a lot of the words and they can't remember it. But my daughter will just sit down with one of the hat books and be like, blah, 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 turtle, turtle, hat, blah, 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 blah. So I would start, like, get some simple stuff. And because the other thing is, even if a book's not being read for the story, it's a lovely routine. Mm. Routine is a thing that parents that don't get into it straight away. Um, one of the things that might happen is your kid might be kept in an intensive care unit for a few days where they put them on a really strict routine. Whatever you do, don't break that routine when you get them out. Stick to it because you'll be so happy that they've been put on a strict routine. Now, I know people whose kids are two and a half and they don't have a routine yet. And they're like, 
We put her to bed at seven. She gets up at nine. We give her three cups of water. So you're just like, what are you, what are you talking about? I put my kids in bed at seven and they sing to each other for 45 minutes and then they fall asleep. Oh, that's so sweet. I know. I've, um, I've avoided learning about routines because um, we've got a book called Baby Secrets and I'm making my partner read it because I think I've done so much research. He can keep the secrets and <laughs> learn all the routine stuff and I will... Uh, have done the nine month carrying it and then he can kind of sort out the logistics. I found pregnancy you just churn through books because there's books called things like what to expect when you're expecting so you've got to have mm. a week by week guide to being pregnant. Then there's the really seedy dad books what you can get away with when your partner's expecting. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. You'll probably Thank have him. to stop going to the pub and month seven well you're not gonna be getting any for a while yeah do those books really exist yeah yeah yeah, yeah and yeah, i read yeah. one of them it's awful and then i read another one that was kind of like supposed to be the antidote to that so it's called men love and birth mm. and it was almost it was like the, also horrible but it was because it like referred to the partner as your lover and it referred to labor as the ancient dance of labor and it was like oh too God. far in the other direction no one's going to be dancing during labor i'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so you get them and then you've got your birth books like birth it's really weird because it's not it doesn't take that long you know you even if you're in hospital for a while it's seven or eight days and then it's all over and you get on with your life but it's you spend nine months thinking about the birth and none mm. thinking about the following one bajillion years where you have to look after them. Yeah, it's nuts. I've read, I read a book that was exclusively about labor and it's, I spent more time reading that than I will spend giving birth for certain. But the amount of books that I've read about looking after the baby once it survived are those, those books are all YouTube videos. <laughs> I haven't done any reading. Here's the thing, by the way, if you decide you really like a kid's book and you don't want to buy it, there's YouTube videos of people reading pretty much every <gasps> copyrighted children's so books. sneaky. Some of them aren't very good, I'll be honest. Like the, the hat book readings are pretty poor, the ones we found online. But it really threw my kids after five months of us reading the hat books where they were demanding Sesame Street on telly and I just put on an American reading one of their hat books and they were like, what is happening? Although <laughs> with the first one, with the I Want My Hat Back, um, Little Angel Theatre, uh, way back in the first lockdown, they uh, streamed, and I think it's still available on their YouTube channel, but they streamed a puppet show of I Want yes. My Hat Back. And did you see it? No, but does it's, he kill the rabbit in the puppet show? Um, it's very, very true to the book. Right, okay. But um, yeah, and uh, Little Angel Theatre are, are awesome uh, theatre company and puppet company anyway. But the, uh, who was it? Ian Nicholson. Ian Nicholson uh, did the performance of I Want My Hat Back. And it's magical. And as a lockdown treat, Little Angel Theatre threw it up for free. So um, I'll find that link for you and send it yes, over Yes, I won't have to do the bedtime routine tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> It is strange. I, so I worked as an usher before all this pandemic hit. Mm. And I've seen a lot of kids shows like the Gruffalo Adapted, um, Tiger Who Came to Tea, Dear Zoo. Mm. And it's very hard to change them into like one hour shows because they're, you know, they're 10 minutes of content tops. Like the amount of like stuffing that's required to put the Tiger Who Came to Tea on for an hour is there's a lot of songs and they repeat themselves a lot, like to the extent I can remember the songs and I can sing them. <laughs> that is the sign of a good song, surely. If, <laughs> if after seeing it just once or twice, it has stayed with you. Yeah, I mean, yummy, yummy sausages, yummy, yummy chips, yummy, I mean, yummy. 
Sausages <laughs> and so chips good. are both yummy. I mean, I can do this. I can sing to the baby in the in the belly like now. I have seen <laughs> people talking about reading uh, to their pregnant belly, but I've not been... Um... Screw that. The kids can't hear. Like, yeah. Have you had anyone try and take your baby's heartbeat? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, well, when they do, it's really, really hard because there's quite a lot of you between them and the outside. And there's the same amount of you between the outside and them. So sitting reading to them, they're just hearing like... <laughs> By the way, oh. when my kids were singing to each other one night, I uh, left an MP3 recorder in their room and recorded it. <laughs> so, cause, and it's just oh. great if you've got mental health problems, listening to twins sing to each other and do call and response. My daughter does like the opening line of uh, Dada Finger or Baby Shark demands Ben does the callback. But um, what I did realize is in the background, in other rooms, you can hear me and my other half. And we sound like the teachers on Charlie Brown. <laughs> Through all the walls, all you can hear is... <laughs> that is brilliant. Um, I was just going to say, um, I was thinking about, there's lots of nursery rhymes where they're quite dark, aren't there? I um, don't know. There's a lot of like over-interpretation of nursery rhymes. I like to read blogs which are like, actually, it's not about the plague. The first oh, recorded yeah. instance of it is 100 years before. Or uh, Humpty Dumpty is not about whatever people think it's about because it, the first recorded uh, version of Humpty Dumpty is earlier than whatever the satirical events are it's supposed to refer to. Uh, a Humpty Dumpty was the name of um, an old cocktail. It's like I think it's brandy and beer mixed together. Oh, God. So it's, you know, more likely to be about being pissed. But that's the wonder of surrealist children's poetry, isn't it? Just how easy it is to apply it to whatever you want. And yeah. it is always fun trying to take something beautiful and innocent and corrupt it in the way. So actually, it's about a horrific bit of history. <laughs> well, I guess uh, I'm just thinking about studying William Blake at university. And Ooh. he did stuff where it was really dark, but it was like kind of wrapped up and disguised as nursery rhyme style. Mm. So maybe that's where people have got the idea from. Um, I've been gifted one book by my sister and it's beautifully illustrated. It's all nursery rhymes, but the pictures are so weird. Like they're brilliantly weird. It's got like sheep that are like taller than the people. And it's got like people riding on greyhounds. And it's like this kind of weird medieval paintings. And it's amazing. I like, I love that kind of children aren't kind of fenced in. Mm. You say that, but a lovely book like that, they'll shred that in force. <laughs> Uh, it's got to be made of card and ideally free is what you're looking for in a children's book. <laughs> and at yeah. least two of them. Um, Shirley, have they given you free books? Oh, no, that happens a bit later. It's no. your, your, your like 12-ish month scan. They give you some free books to read to your kids. And um, The books when we did it were Bouncing Babies and Chuffa Chuffa Choo Choo. And we knew they were the free books because we already had four copies of both of them that we picked up from free book things. Both oh. of us forgetting what we'd already got because we'd had no sleep for ages. I've only got Oi Frog as the alternative. It's good. Oi Frog doing the cat's <coughs> voice is always fun. Because yeah. the cats have to sound evil. Yeah. I'm just conscious of time. I think we should swap over. Yeah. Uh, would you like me to tell you about the book I've read? I read um, Billy the Kid, The Endless Ride by Michael Wallace, who is still alive. So it's really, it's really exciting doing this because... As well as being a, an author and like pop historian, he also is the voice of Sheriff, the character in the Cars series of Pixar films as well. <gasps> cool. But um, it's essentially just another biography of Billy the Kid. But I, I love the Billy the Kid stories. And I would argue that this is probably the only one you need to read. It's the book split into two different sections. The first two thirds of the book 
pieced together the childhood of Billy the Kid from his potential birthplace of New York City uh, and running through his family, just dropping like flies as they move across pretty much all of America and end up in New Mexico. And this first uh, section of the book sows a lot of the seeds as to why, of all the different frontier heroes and villains, why Billy was poised to become of such great significance to us and someone that we wouldn't ever forget, like why he was picked up of all of the people and how his childhood and all of his teen years at first seemed to uh, represent the idea of Manifest Destiny as he was very quickly orphaned. So he was one lone American man taming the wild and all of the racism that goes along with that they were very excited about. So they would picture him as like the poster boy for white America being God's own chosen people. But then they found out that he had friendship groups and later his family groups were almost exclusively uh, Hispanic and Native American people around New Mexico who, at the time, those communities were being brutalised. So with Billy the Kid siding with them, fighting with them, and just communing with them all the time, his story and his myths started to change into being a hero and a folk legend to being a degenerate and a villain. And it's really interesting that you can trace the information spreading across the country as to like the dime novels and made up stories about Billy the Kid went from him being like the Prince of Pistoliers to this vagrant who was not to be trusted and who was responsible for murdering everybody in the West at every second of his life. And then in the the second section, the final third of the book, we have the um, focusing comes down onto the like the Lincoln County War and the Five Day War. Billy's pardon by the governor, his arrest, his betrayal, his escape, and then his murder at the hands of Pat Garrett. So all of the big stories that we're all familiar with about Billy the Kid, he goes into those in quite a bit of detail, but focusing again on the myth building behind it, and he, he just. I, I don't know whether this is Wallace's personal hot take or whether this is just sourced from a million different books that have gone before, but he points out that the myth building around Billy the Kid at the time was largely on part of the political class who wanted to stop historians and everyone looking at their massive political corruption they were doing. So started just focusing the entire Western story of the 1870s onto this one character of Billy the Kid. And it was like about two years after the Lincoln County War that all of these newspaper stories and uh, all of these dime novels and all of these comic books started being circulated manically. And when the myth and the legend and all the horrific and beautiful things about Billy the Kid started to be believed in the American consciousness. And they were so incredibly successful with creating a demon for everyone to be uh, sort of distracted by so they could get along with their uh, own corruption and extortion and and essentially murder of all the undesirables that they didn't want in New Mexico at the time. That at the time of Billy the Kid's death, no one cared about any corruption that was going on, but Billy the Kid got loads of obituaries which read like this one in the Santa Fe Weekly Democrat, which just said, no sooner had the floor caught the descending form, which had a pistol in one hand and a knife in the other, that there was a strong odour of brimstone in the air, and a dark figure with the wings of a dragon, claws like a tiger, eyes like balls of fire, and horns like a bison, hovered over the corpse for a moment, and with a fiendish laugh said, ha ha, this is my meat, and then sailed off through the window. He did not leave his card, but he is a gentleman well known by reputation, and thereby hangs a tale. So the it was you. It was me. No, it was me. <laughs> but it, it was Abraham Lincoln. Uh, 
no, it was it it was it it was devil, wasn't it? It was the devil. Uh, but they managed to create a, a character. It's, it's just the whole book is focusing on um, like here's all the facts we know about Billy the Kid, the real life human, and um, it's pieced together from all the sources. And there's a lot of gaps, and like historians are bore a vacuum, so they're filled in with uh, various theories or ideas as to what he did in those missing ten years here and those missing three years there. But um, the idea that uh, Billy the Kid was created by a political class that just wanted to deflect attention away from them is so exciting and so so intriguing. Uh, it's so weird, though, Greg, that nothing like that has ever happened since. <laughs> oh, I, I know I'm focusing on one thing as no, opposed it's to... So, no, it's so weird that no politicians have ever thought, let's create a load of media distraction and really whip up people's hatred mm. to distract from how shit we are. No, They've never thought that since. So it's a really nice view into history to see when it happened. Yeah, to see the one time it happened. And I well, the one time. I know, but it is but it is exciting the the idea that like years and years after the fact this folk hero still exists exclusively as propaganda, but propaganda mm. which is really fun to have um or the brat pack play. Yeah. But what was the best thing Billy the Kid did? The best thing he did. Yeah. I want the pure action movie dick waving Byron would write a poem about it best thing he did. Oh wow. There was uh about him and forty of his mates hidden uh like trapped in a house which belonged to the lawyer who was one of his good friends and the house was had been set on fire by the baddies they're trapped up in the attic as the house is burning and billy the kid manages to create a daring escape by essentially waiting till nightfall having everyone sneak out the back of the house while he runs up to all the army surrounding the house and just yells you'll never catch me blows raspberries flicks the v's and then just legs it away getting shot only a couple of times i think that's one of the most like badass things that he did (laughs) just allowing all of his mates to escape by running up to the baddies and just going like nah 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 you won't catch me like the gingerbread man or something it was magnificent i didn't know that much about him before i knew that the name but um that's really uh scary in terms of how he's you know a story i know there's kind of media distractions and things these days but to make a whole kind of not like a genre but almost Mm. you know like a whole whole kind of fantasy around this one one scapegoat and it just seems weird that he seems to have been earmarked from very early on since he was about 15 to go so like you are going to represent we're going to write about you manically and you're going to represent this ideal oh shit you actually go against what we wanted you to represent okay we need to make sure everyone hates you so you're a villain because you uh, agree with these people and we don't like these people and then they'd created this this person that people paid attention to so it's like we can do what we want with this person which is really weird and it's just it's fun uh and interesting seeing the story of billy the kid uh trace the story of america at the time because he was around just about like 10 years or something like the lincoln county war was about 10 or 15 years after the civil war ended in a bit in new mexico which was you know not the least confederate bit of the of the union so watching him just try and sort of like look out for the underdogs in a way like because i don't really care how much of it is true or fictionalized because i i like heroes and i like the idea that as most real life humans who you can have as your hero they there's a chance they'll let you down because they'll do something 
uh, silly or monstrous, or they'll say something without thinking, and then they'll double down on it. So our heroes screw us over all time, all all over the time. So why not just mythologize someone that there isn't too much information about? Because then they can't let you down, and they can be whatever you want them to be, which I think is, you know, quite a useful tool occasionally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if we're sure that everything that could ever be known about them has been burned or destroyed, mm. then it's really unlikely that we'll find out that. We should never have named that building after them or whatever mm, it is. But always be aware that if you name your building after someone and then later on find out they weren't who you thought was worthy to be celebrated, you can always change the name. Like It's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. take the statue you, down. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, the, the history will still exist. Like, there are still books. <laughs> like, mm, you, can, yeah. you can read about the thing. It's, it's, not, it's not whitewashing history so much as changing who we choose to celebrate. Mm. I think um, we do this to figures from history, not about like kind of factual stuff, mm. but we always take the idea of something from history and we, we change it to what we believe in. It's definitely um, scary and it's not without its ability to, um, as we've seen over and over again, to be weaponized to such a powerful and horrific uh, level. But mm. then, I don't know, like it's... The idea of any historical figure, just just remembering that we can change we can change our mind when when new information comes to light or when uh, what we see is important or acceptable or unacceptable when when they shift and we learn learn more we, it, it's not wrong to to uh, just drop people. <laughs> Mm. Like, like it, and it, the same with like Billy the Kid, who I love him as a folk hero, main, mainly because he died so young. Unless you believe some very wholesome conspiracy theories about him living until he was in his nineties and that, but uh, he died when he was twenty-one. He didn't have long enough to really, really mess up in any strong way because he was mm. just like a poor orphan trying to do his best by being a criminal, rustling horses and rustling cattle and trying to help out his friends like i'm sure he was a bit of a ballend cuz you know who's 21 and isn't but i don't know he didn't have he didn't have enough time to turn into a monster like uh the thing from off of batman <laughs> it sounds like the establishment made him into a monster do you think he'll be kind of rehabilitated into seen more as a i think positive? yeah i think so i think he i i think He'll be one of the um, groups of uh, people from the past that we're constantly reevaluating, and I don't think until he is simply forgotten and we don't care anymore. I don't think he'll ever just be meh. He was all right. I think he'll always be a poetic folk hero or a revolting villain. Mm, I guess he is kind of one of those like cool villains yeah in a way you know like blowing raspberries at, at the police exactly and i think as far as um facts go we know as fact that he killed like three people in self-defense which isn't which which is definitely not good no one's saying killing's good but <laughs> but i mean three people in New Mexico in the 1870s, when they had like the code of the West and no duty to retreat and like the, the foundations of what will become the vile uh, stand your ground laws and all that bullshit, right? Existing around there and only killing three people? Ah, oh, that's some restraint, surely. <laughs> well done. Good work. <laughs> only three. Is there anyone who's kind of on the world stage 
now who you think in 50, 100 years time, people are going to really reevaluate and go, why were they looked up to? Or why was this person villainized in that way? Who is currently alive and with access to libel lawyers, who I think <laughs> is definitely a murderer <laughs> and a disgusting person. Maybe, maybe the other way around. Oh, the other way around. Okay, okay. Um, I... I don't know. It's, it's impossible to tell because um, what will be important to people in like 50 years time might have absolutely nothing to do with anything we know now. So there could be someone. Um, but also, I... isn't there the thing where it's easy to focus on the good side of what somebody's doing now, hmm. but the bad side only comes out later. So like the guy who decided putting lead in petrol and CFC in fridges. It's the same guy. He was lionized and given awards and prizes. And only now are we like, you've literally killed more people than anybody else. Mm. And it's the same with someone like Joe Wicks, right? So right now, mm. everyone's like, oh, Joe Wicks, he did a great job putting all those PE lessons on telly during the mm. lockdown. But the problem is he's proved that kids can do PE just by watching YouTube videos and every PE teacher in the country is about to get made redundant, probably. <laughs> and then like organized sport will die and then we'll have a lot of miserable children and it will be because of Joe Wicks. It'll be harder now that, because um, cause there's more information about every everyone yeah. and the records mm. are more they're they're more robust and they're looked after and protected for much better like one of the wonders about people from um like billy the kid loads of loads of facts about him growing up we simply don't know there's lots of speculation and there's speculation which was based on more sort of circumstantial evidence than others but like it would be hard to find people. I'm sure you still can, but it would be hard to find people now where you look at their past and go, well, we've got these anecdotes and these magical, wonderful, incredible stories, but we haven't got any paper trail on them whatsoever. Mm. But I think still people can make you out to be a villain, even if the paper trail is good. Yeah, I mean, I just did it to Joe Wicks, who's yeah. a completely <laughs> wonderful, kind person for all I know. But I guess you're right. There's no, there's less room for fan, like pure fantasy in the way where you're like, mm. oh, this person, we don't know what he did between zero. Yeah, and there's going to be less gaps to fill in. So even though you can... You can say, oh, this person is probably a monster and here are my reasons why. And did you know this about them? And just make things up. Even though people get caught up in the moment and they'll go along with it for a few weeks, months or years or something, it will come to light, one would hope anyway, um, <laughs> relatively quickly. They'll go like, oh, but that's just not true. Look, here's the proof. Because again, uh, particularly in the last few years, we haven't seen anything which is based on powerful people actively intentionally lying about vulnerable people and then those vulnerable people being left to pick up the pieces um no not at all by any means um <laughs> i was just thinking about um the kind of fantasizing that people do when they don't have the information and i hate that in history books i read a history book mm. two years ago about ethel fled do you do you know her at all no. she was a, a queen of mercia i think possibly the only woman who ruled a subsection of Britain on her own because um, <laughs> her husband got sick and died and she was great. Anyway, basically, they don't know when she was born because girls weren't really... It wasn't worth recording their birthday <laughs> um, at that point. But the whole of the, the history book was like, well, she probably did this and she might have done this. Absolutely all invented. 
like, oh, we broadly know some things about medieval England, so she might have eaten bread. I, I don't know. I, I'm always torn with that because I find it, you know, it's it's next to useless, mm. isn't it? So if you're just guessing, but then it is a fun exercise to uh, probably not to get in a published book and put out there as re- as legitimate mm. history, but as a little um, experiment, just going like, right, well, I know this person lived here at, at this time. So let's have a look at the customs at the time. Let's have a look at how they spent their free time, how what sort of jobs they did. Like piecing together a fictional idea of a person that way is is fun. I I did it with someone um, a few years ago for a show, and it was tremendous fun. But it's not to be confused with real history. Surely, I think, I think surely that's not. the. I think that's where I find it frustrating when it's like this is a history book, like. Is it yeah. really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a hundred pages of it as a history book, but just put out a hundred-page history book. Yeah. Now with added lies. <laughs> Find the same with non-fiction. It's all padded out so much. You're like, this is a journal article at best. Exactly. Just say you're in a field. That's all we need to I find I can't read a lot of non-fiction. People always expect me to read loads of popular science books. But usually I'm on about page 10 and it's like, and then I went to interview and it's just someone I know is a complete prick. I just throw the book across the room in disgust. Why would you talk to that knobhead? And that's it. I've finished reading the book. Anyway, (laughs) I'm conscious of time. uh, So I'm going to do wrapping up stuff. So... Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Greg and Steve. Uh, where can people find you online if they want to follow you? Greg's on Reddit. <laughs> 4chan. <laughs> and we love DonaldTrump.com. Yeah, that's 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 me. Basically, uh, and 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 recently, definitely Parler. Um, I uh, you can you can find me on the uh, just look for Gregory Aikman on on Twitter. I mean, I it's do nothing on Twitter one. at any but point. But Greg, don't you have that wildly successful Dungeons and Dragons podcast? Um, I'll tell you what, this is the best place to go. If you go chaoticadequate.com, yep. uh, you will get to hear the only Dungeons & Dragons podcast that is yep. any good and the only one that's worth listening to. And it's got myself on, it's got uh, Dr. Steve Cross, Amanda DeJoya and Sarah Jones, um, who are everyone's favourite people. And if they're not, people need to listen to it and then reevaluate who their favourite people are. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, so if you want to hear more from Greg and Steve, Chaotic Adequate is yeah. the place you find them. Um, that's all we've got time for. If you want to find the Alternative Book Club, we are at Alt Book Club on Facebook and very similar at Alt Book Club on Instagram and the Alt Book Club on Twitter if you want to find us. Thank you very much to both of you for joining me. Thank you to you for listening and goodbye. Bye, friends. Bye-bye. Bye.